The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning. Today's reading is Philippians 4, 2 through 9, which can be found on page 982 in your pew Bibles. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you. You're most of my favorite people in the whole world. So I'm really happy to be with you and look at God's word with you now. So let's pray and uh, we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, um, we need the truth of this passage so deeply. I need it. And so we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be with us and that you would enable us to see this with fresh eyes and soft hearts and that your word would come true in us even today as we look at your word together. So give us humility, Lord. Give us the attention. Help me to teach us clearly and faithfully, God, and we pray that you would preach and work a sermon better than anything I could ever do, that we would go out of here with the peace of God from the God of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw this week that the Washington Post is running a series they're calling the Anxiety Chronicles. It's about how, in this case, uh, Women often feel crushed by anxiety. In fact, if you do a brief survey on the subject, just Google it, you know, anxiety in America or something, you're going to see more and more of the same. There will be article after article about how, as our society, we're remarkably anxious. We're crushed. So here we are a few days before Thanksgiving, and I just want to, I just want to ask, does that resonate with any of you? Most of you, you've been Christians for so long. It's not a problem for you anymore. You never get anxious. Well, it's ridiculous. I know enough about your lives. You know enough about me. It, we're, we're afraid. We're anxious. We don't enjoy so often a sense of peace. And we have reasons for that, don't we? Just take 30 seconds in your mind and, uh, and name it to yourself. I'm feeling that anxious burn because of this, what? Have you named it? Something at work? A relationship? Conflict? Something about your kids or someone else you care about? A sickness, maybe? Or, or maybe it's, it's hard for you to name. It's just this feeling of dread. Uh, maybe it's something that's happened in the past. You think it's going to happen again. What is making you anxious? And as I ask you that question, I want to ask you another one. In the face of that anxiety, wouldn't you enjoy some peace? <laughs> wouldn't peace just feel like, ah, do you even remember what peace feels like? It's that sense that everything's okay, that everything's good, that everything's in order, that everything's in control. When you have peace, you can, you can breathe again. You can sleep, maybe, again. You can focus again. You're not dominated by those worrisome thoughts we would love some peace. How do we get it? Well, we're studying through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And the uh, last chapter was all about showing the church and us 
how to stand firm in Jesus. And in chapter 4, Paul is taking the echo of that theme of standing firm in Jesus and angling it to think about peace. Peace. The Philippians need peace, as, as if regular life wasn't hard enough by itself. There's division in their church. They're probably facing persecution for their faith. All of those things can bring massive anxiety. They need peace. We need peace. And here's the surprising thing. Paul is at peace. He's at peace. And here's another point where Paul takes us by surprise. He always has me cross-eyed. How, what's going on? And the reason he takes me by surprise here, and maybe you, is because you and I tend to believe that we're anxious due to our circumstances. Isn't that what you secretly believe? You're anxious due to your circumstances. So the reason you're anxious is this, that, and the other thing. And if those things were okay, then you wouldn't be anxious. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure that's true. Here's one, way to, one reason we need to challenge that idea. Paul has harder circumstances and more peace. He has harder circumstances and more peace. You remember he's in a Roman prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier with a possible execution sentence hanging over him. How many of you would be full of deep peace in that kind of a situation? He has powerful people who hate him, who slander him and want him dead. If some of us knew we were getting Paul's circumstances tomorrow, we'd be on the floor in the fetal position sucking our thumb. Couldn't handle it. He has harder circumstances and more peace. So that should make us ask the question, how is he doing this? Why does he have this peace? What is he somehow able to plug into that's giving him peace like that in circumstances such as he has? Well, here's the good news for us today. Look at, look at Philippians 4 verse 9. 4 verse 9. What an amazing promise this is. Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. Do you see this promise? There is a way to plug in or tap into truth and power to where you can actually, functionally, practically grow in your experience of God's peace. And there is no circumstance in your life that can stop that. That's amazing to consider. Peace is right there for every one of God's people. So how do we do it? Well, that's what we're after today. That's what Paul wants us to know, and that means that's what God wants you to know. The Lord God, this is my heart for you today. God wants to give you peace today. He wants to give me peace today. So I'm excited about this, but I want you to know I'm also a rookie in this. I still... I still get anxious. I still get worried about the same old, same old things. I, I'm, I haven't perfected this, but just to be able to, to have the, uh, the, the assurance from God that he wants you to have peace and to see how that begins to happen. Let's look. The way we're going to do this uh, is we're going to see a principle and then three practices. So I want to show you a principle to understand and then three practices, ways to put it into practice. Uh, the principle has two parts. Follow along. Hopefully I can make this clear. Principle part one. Well, let's just start with this question. What's your habit when you're looking for peace or when you need peace? What do you do? Maybe you watch Netflix so you can forget your problems and find kind of a numb out peace. Or maybe you just cross your fingers and hope things will work out somehow. Peace. Or maybe you talk up your self-confidence, you know, find the power within. Peace. And maybe that's part of why we don't have peace. <laughs> we tend to look for peace in all the wrong places. What is peace? Where does it come from? I think peace is related to the idea that good is coming or it's here and that it's going to last and be stable. That goodness in our life is going to be stable. And so the worry, obviously, right, is the instability of good, the possibility of that breaking down, dissolving, not existing. We are looking for the stability of the good. And as we try to put our peace in this life, well, no wonder we don't have any. Because guess what this life is lacking in every way? Stability. Stability. One wonderfully sobering thing about your suffering is it reminds you, you are not 
in control. You're not in control. When everything was rolling good for a while, you kind of got a little high on yourself, right? Have you ever done this? I only know because I've done it. You got a little high on yourself, like, hey, I've kind of got it together. It's working out for me. I've got peace, and, and I'm functioning right in the world. And then suffering that you did not want, that you didn't draw up, that you didn't see coming, it hits you in the kidneys, and you realize, I'm not anywhere close to in control. There's no stability here. Our, few, our fear of future suffering ruins our sense of stability now. Even if you are kind of in a season of life where things are stable, you, you know just around the corner. And honestly, when it comes to this life, what are you not going to lose at some point? I hate to tell you on this sermon on peace that you're going to lose everything. <laughs> What's going to happen to your wonderful youth and beauty some of you enjoy? All, all of you enjoy. You're so young and beautiful. What's going to happen to you one day in your youth and beauty? You will get old and melt like ice cream in the sun. <laughs> What's going to happen to these great relationships you enjoy? They end. It all ends. There's no stability, which means quit looking for your ultimate peace here. Just give up. Quit looking for your ultimate peace here. Where do we look for peace? Look at what God is called in verse 9. The God of peace. I love that. It's his name. The God of peace. I want to remind you that God in himself is peace. Remember I said I think peace has to do with the stability of the good. Think of these two things together in our God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving, enjoying one another and all their shared glories. God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all-sufficient, needing nothing, pure joy. And it's perfectly stable in the sense that, is anything touching that? Is anything messing with that, ruining that, tainting that, changing that? He is unchanging perfection from eternity past to eternity future, which means he is in himself peace. He is peace. He is peace. And the beautiful thing about this God who is peace is that he loves to give his peace to his people. Look at John 14, 27. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. What's Jesus saying he's going to give to his people? Peace. And is it just the normal kind of vanilla kind you get from a good day at the office or a picnic? That's good peace, but that doesn't last peace. What's he giving you? He's giving you a different level of peace entirely. His peace. He wants to give that to you. How do you know you have that? How do you know you have that? Because I want you to think not only is of peace as an experience. Well, we're talking about, in a way, right, the experience of peace. I want you to feel at peace. But the, the feeling of peace has to come from the ultimate reality of actual peace. God is himself peace, whether or not you feel at peace. Amen? And the truth of that is how you start to feel at peace. Because he is peace, and he's giving you peace. How do you know you have it? How can you get it? Here's how we know. Look at Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember, we're rebellious sinners. We have uh, taken all things good and peaceful and lit them on fire. Saying we don't want them, we don't need them. We've brought wreckage, carnage, death. We've, we've turned from God, we haven't trusted him, we haven't believed his word is true, we've replaced him with other things. We've sinned. We don't deserve any peace at all. But Jesus has come to take our place. He lived the perfect life. We could not and did not live. He died on the cross in your place to take upon himself all the just wrath that you and I deserve for our sins. On that cross, a trade is made. Jesus takes our sin, and then through faith, he gives us his perfection, that idea of justified by faith. God has declared you right with him. No sin left to judge. 
wearing the perfection of Jesus, which means the relationship between you and God is no longer his just displeasure towards you, but it is now peace. We're reconciled. We're good. God loves you. The God of peace has welcomed you into his presence freely and cleanly through Jesus Christ. You have peace with God through the God of peace because of what Jesus has done. And that is yours. And the beauty of it is if you trust Jesus, that is yours whether you feel at peace or not. And if you feel super at peace but you don't trust your life to Jesus, your sense of peace is a facade and an illusion. There is no peace. The gateway, the door, the assurance of peace with the God of peace is trust in who Jesus is and what he's done. And so if you're a Christian today, I want to just build that foundation for you that the peace of the God of peace is yours if you have peace with him through Christ. It's yours. So find ultimate peace from knowing the God of peace through Jesus, who is your peace. Now, just an aside here, I want to make sure you don't look for a peace from God without wanting God himself. I want to make sure you don't look for a peace from God without wanting God himself. Sometimes the way Christians talk disturbs me. And I'm not saying I've never done it before, but sometimes I'll hear things like, um, I want to be careful here. I'm, I'm incriminating myself as well, okay? I don't have any individual in mind. Be gentle with me, okay? But when hard things are going on, we'll say things like, I just don't know why. And then we'll feel bothered by our, how our faith doesn't seem to be coming through for us. I get that. I understand. And, and I'm not saying there aren't complicated issues in our various sufferings and challenges and we want to know why. In some ways we get to, in other ways we don't. That's not really my point. My point is this sense of being let down with Christ because we don't feel peace. I think it's dangerous to go to Christianity for the peace that we need. In a way, as if God is the middleman to give us the good stuff. What I really need is a sense of peace, and God, I come to you for that. But when I don't need it, uh... What should we want the most, God's peace or God? It's an important difference. Don't go to Christianity to give you the peace that you need. Sort of. I want you to go to Christianity and find peace like you never dreamed. I do. But don't go to Christianity to find the peace that you need ultimately. Go to Christianity because, number one, it's true. And go to Christianity then, if it's true, for God himself. Where you say, I want you and I want to be right with you, whether or not I ever feel peace. You're the one I need. You're the one I want. You're the one I trust. You are God and I am not. It's not like we deserve some elational peace all the time. We go to God for himself. I just think that's an important point. And if you go to God for himself, he loves to give you his peace. <laughs> he does. He loves to give you his peace. He loves to give you his peace. Look what it says in verse 4. In this conversation on peace, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. What's that next word? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. This has been the heartbeat of the whole letter of Philippians, right? We're in desperate need of joy. We want to be happy. What's the only source that's going to give you joy forever and ever? Amen. Thrill you, keep you, security, beauty. Who, who is it? It's Jesus. Rejoice where? In the Lord. When? Always. Always. Again, I will say, remember last chapter, he said, uh, I'll remind you of this again, rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter four, again, I will say, rejoice. Is this new for anyone if you've been coming to Fountain of Life the whole fall, every Sunday? Why do you need to hear it again? Did you need to hear that again this Sunday, even though you heard it last Sunday and the Sunday before? Why? Because you forgot. You forgot. And there were moments this week where you felt you had every right not to rejoice. Because you were looking at something right up here, and who did you forget? 
the Lord. Jesus. That word always is the key to peace. When can you rejoice in the Lord? Find full joy in all that he is. When can you do that? Always. That, my friends, is what we call stability. Always. You can always find joy in Jesus. And if peace is about the stability of goodness and what gives you joy, you put your ultimate joy in things that are unstable, there will be no peace. You put your ultimate joy in Jesus, there's always joy, and guess what? There's always right around the corner. Peace. You have what you need. Rejoice in the Lord. Jesus, joy in Jesus will give you peace. That's my point. The first principle. Find ultimate peace from knowing the God of peace through Jesus who is our peace. Go to God for himself and his beauty. Rejoice in him. And what does he want to give you? Peace. And where is ultimate peace to be found? In him and him alone. Find your peace there. That's principle part one. I want you to see principle part two now for this passage. Principle part two is what we do with principle part one in the everyday aspects of our lives. Okay, so where's ultimate peace? God himself through Jesus. That's stability. That's joy. Look at Paul does with these ladies. Euodia and Syntyche. Somebody asked me, how do you say these names? And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea. We're going to go with Euodia and Syntyche. Is that cool? Okay. Look what Paul does with these, with these ladies. This is an example of how to use the principle. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Uh, what do we know about Euodia and Syntyche? Number one, these are godly, Jesus-loving ladies. These are leaders. These are examples. These are fellow workers. That's one thing we know about them. What's another thing we know about them? They are not agreeing somehow. There is a discord here somehow. There is a quarrel somehow. We don't know what it is, and I'm glad we don't. But we do know it's bad enough to make the letter. <laughs> You know, back then, um, so Epaphroditus came with this letter from Paul, and the uh, Philippian church got together, and there's only one way this works. Somebody opens the letter, and guess what that person does to the, for the community? Read the letter. And so you're Euodia, or you're Syntyche, and you're tracking on with uh, three, and you know, Syntyche's over there, and you're Euodia, you're over here, because you got beef with that lady. She just, just doesn't get it. And then you hear... Verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree. I'm Euodia, you're Syntyche, you know. I'm... We're in the letter. <laughs> and we're told to agree. But look at how Paul handles this. Some of us are thinking, gosh, he put their names in the letter, which is why I am now going to call out several of you. I'm just kidding. But look at what he actually says about them. I want you to see it. What does he actually say about them? Does he say anything about their quarrel or disagreement, or the details of it? Nothing. What does he say about them? Everything he says about them is positive. Look what he says. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel. Together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. They have worked with me and they are as valuable to me as anybody else I've worked with. That's what he says about them publicly. But he's telling, he's so gentle, isn't he? So he's got this weight. He's been thinking about how to handle this. This division is so bad, it's causing problems in the church and I'm sure it's lending to anxiety. I mean, if you knew there was a major rift going between major leaders in the church and there's coldness in the air when we meet together, that's a problem. Paul has to deal with it. He does it so skillfully. He doesn't call anybody out or start throwing barbs. or he won't. The only thing he says about them publicly is positive with the one command, agree. 
What does he mean? What what is he doing? He's not telling them to have some brainwashed, ideological, cultish, you think identically about every issue. That is not what he's saying. Christians can disagree on millions of things. Millions. But look at what he says. He says, I want you to agree. What was that next phrase? In the Lord. And then he says, your names are in the book of life. Hey, you Odie and Syntyche, you don't want to sit together in church, but guess where your names are right next to one another? God's book of his people he's saving. What is he trying to get them to do? What are their eyes on when they walked into church that morning? Syntyche's thinking, oh, you Odie, huh? And Yodia's thinking, ah, oh, Syntyche, geez. And what is Paul trying to get them to think about? The Lord. What he's done for us. Us. What he's done for me. Where my name is written. Where my sister's name is written. We're on the same team. We're in the same family. We're in the same book. We're saved by the same Savior. Paul is saying, apply the great truth of God's peace, the light of the great truth of God's peace to the small darkness of your anxiety. Try this on. What do you think? I think anxiety is like wearing a bucket over your head. It's like wearing a bucket over your head. And if you wear a bucket over your head, what are you going to see? You're going to see the side of the bucket. What else are you going to see? Nothing. When you're anxious, what are you staring at? Euodia, Syntyche, my problem. What else are you seeing? Nothing. This principle is to take the bucket off your head and look at the darkness of the bucket of the small thing giving you anxiety in the light of the great truth of God's peace. Do you see that's what he's doing with Yodia and Syntyche? God has given you peace with him through Jesus. Apply that to your discord together. God has made you part of his family. He shed his blood for you. You're in the same book. Look to the Lord. Figure it out. Emphasize Jesus and what he's done. And work for peace, because you're seeing the darkness of the small through the light of the greatness of God's peace. Do you see what he's trying to do? And so that's the principle. You have to find your ultimate peace in God himself through Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's stable. And then you need to learn to take the bucket off your head in your anxiety And see the darkness of the small in the light of the greatness of God and his peace. And the rest of the chapter is just ways to practice that. It's how to do it. So let's let's look at practice number one. Three practices now for peace. Well, it's pretty clear we've kind of covered it. Foster peace. Enjoy the peace of God from the God of peace by fostering peace in your community. Euodia, Syntyche, agree. And then look at verse 3. I ask you, true companion, help these women. Help them do what? Be at peace. So what do we see in church community? What do we need? If we're applying the greatness of God's peace, what should we foster? Peace with one another. And not just peace between me and you, but you and me can help foster peace between others. Should we help each other foster peace? Absolutely. That's the practice here. Why would we do that? Why is that important to us? Why is that a part of our culture? What did Jesus do for you? To what length did he go so that you might have peace with God? It's unreal. He came, he died, he rose. 
for you to have peace with God. And if you have peace with God, then what therefore must you foster with one another? Peace. Peace. Apply the greatness of God's peace to the darkness of the small of our anxiety. Look at these two verses. I mean, this is, a, this is a, just biblical reality if you're in Christ. Look at Romans 14, 19. So that, uh, then let us what, do what? Pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Pursue it. Should peace be on your mind with your brothers and sisters? Should it be a goal? Should it be a target? Yes, go after peace. Look at what Jesus said, five, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the who? Peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. How do you know you have your father's kind of likeness or resemblance in your life as a Christian? One way is you make peace. You're after peace. You're pursuing peace. We don't know who the true companion is in verse 3. Um, maybe it's Epaphroditus. We don't know, but we don't need to know because the point is, Christians, apply the great, the light of the great to the darkness of the small. Jesus has brought you peace. Work for peace with one another. Look down in verse 4. Or sorry, verse 5. Paul says there, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. What does that mean? And what does that have to do with peace? Well, in a way, nobody knows what that means. <laughs> Here's why I say that. This is one of these Greek words that doesn't have an identical English word to use. So here, let me give you an example. Look at this. I'll give you, here's four translations, plus you have the ESV in front of you. ESV said, let your reasonableness. NRSV says, let your gentleness. NASV says, let your forbearing spirit. Amplified says, let your unselfishness. King James, let your moderation. What does it tell you when five different translations give you five different words? This is an amazing word that doesn't have a one-world correlation in English. So let's tease it out. Let's tease it out. If you go with King James, let's say moderation. Moderation. You, you, you know the general idea of moderation is, hey, there's a vat of ice cream. How much are you going to eat? A healthy amount. And now my family's like, you have no moderation. Why are you preaching? You're disqualified. It's the idea, okay? You're willing to cut yourself off at some point because of what's good. And you're able to because you're not living and dying for ice cream. There are greater things that own you. And so you're able to be moderate in your ice cream eating. This is the kind of thing that we should see in our relationships together. A stability in Jesus where you have what you need that makes you so generous with others that you're moderate about your own rights and you're moderate about your own needs in relationship. You're, like the um, Amplified said, your unselfishness. It's basically like this. Because God, because you've won so much in Jesus, you're willing to lose in relationships. Because you've won so much in Jesus, you're willing to lose. and you don't, you don't need to have all of your rights given to you. You're generous. You're unselfish. You're moderate about what you need in community because you have what you need in Christ. It's this, uh, another word that could work for this maybe is magnanimity. Magnanimous. Have you heard of that word before? Greatness of soul. The strength you need because you have Christ. And then you can, you can be what you need to be in relationship to bless others. It's not all about you because Jesus was all about you. And what should we do with that? Let that be made known to who? Everybody. Think about that. What is this command to you right now? Paul is saying to Christians, I want you to work so that everyone sees that you're content in what you have in Christ and you're willing to lose in your relationship with others for the sake of peace. That should be your culture. That should be the way you all come across. Magnanimous, gener generous, gentle. Isn't that amazing? 
And how do you do that? How do you do that? How can you be magnanimous, reasonable, gentle, unselfish? There's only one way. You have, to, you have to remember the principle. What's the light of the great truth? God has made you his child in Jesus Christ. He is your joy and your peace. And that means when you hit a rough relational moment, if you remember that and apply it, you can be Reasonable, gentle, magnanimous. But if you have the bucket on and all you can see is how you need to win your rights in this moment, guess what you're going to do? There'll be division. There won't be any peace. You'll set it on fire. So the principle. See the darkness of the small in the light of the great, the God who's given you his peace. And the practice, foster peace in your community. Second practice, look at verses 6 to 7. Are you ready for verse 6? I don't think you are. Let's read the first phrase together. You ready? Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop. Right? How many of you are thinking, (laughs) yeah, okay? You're all a bunch of skeptics right now. You're all about, you're like, oh, God, the Bible is the word of God, and we believe it, and it's inspired, and it's inerrant. Don't be anxious about anything. That's ridiculous. It's maybe uh, top five on most disbelieved and disobeyed commands in the Bible. <laughs> That's impossible. Wait, is he serious? Is this serious for you right here and right now, today? to not be anxious about anything. Not just later when you finally fixed that problem. But right now, is this for you? I want you to answer that for your own heart. Does God want to do this for you? Okay. How? Pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. I don't think this is, good night, God, thanks for the nice day, prayer. I'm not saying don't do that. That's great. I think you have to work a little harder. You have to pray. You have to spend time in prayer. When you are anxious, it's time to pray. It's time to get by yourself with some time, and it's time to pray, and it's time to name all those things that are makes you anxious and pray about every single one of them and lift them up and pray. But don't just pray, God, get me out of this. It's okay to pray that. Go ahead. But don't just pray, God, get me out of this. You're called here to do something that's going to seem impossible to you. As you pray about dark and hard circumstances, you are supposed to pray with what? Thanksgiving. What is that? It's a wonderful holiday we're going to celebrate on Thursday. And far more. What is Thanksgiving? It's gratitude for good gifts. It's gratitude for good gifts. It's taking joy in something beautiful that someone has given you and expressing that gratitude to them. Good gifts. Gratitude for good gifts. This is why you're going to think this is impossible. Think about the things that gives you the most anxiety right now, and you start thanking God for it and in it. You know what? If you Say you ask me to pray for that thing after the service. I'd love to, by the way. And say you tell me about it. Hopefully I'll show you appropriate sympathy Weep with those who weep. I mean that. I hurt for your hurts. I hope you hurt for mine. But then imagine we started praying, and you had told me this hard thing, and I said, Lord, I just thank you that you put this thing in their life. And you're standing here praying with me, and then you're... I asked you to pray for me. And Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in my friend here through this hard time. You can stop now. And Lord, we, we ask you for this result. We pray for a good result. We pray that you'd get the job, they get the job, and we pray that they would be healed from the sickness, and we pray that uh, it would all work out and live happily forever in the end. Hey, pray for it. And one day when Jesus comes back, you will. But God, we also thank you for if and when and how you say no. Are you done praying with me yet if I pray for you like that? Do you know what it means, folks, to pray with thanksgiving? This is the principle put into practice. When you're praying for all these things and they're overwhelming you and they're bringing you anxiety, you have the bucket on. 
It's all you can see. And when you pray with thanksgiving, this is how you do it. Guess what you're doing when you pray with thanksgiving? You're taking the bucket off. And you're remembering there is a God. There's a God who is working in your life through your joys and through your sorrows. And you are thanking him for that. And then when your heart says, but I don't see why. I get it. You know what? When my kid was three years old and he wanted to eat the candy he dropped in the sand of the beach and I told him no and he screamed at me, he didn't see why either. Come on, parents. Did you ever do something for your little kid that was for their good that they hated? And they're too little to even understand it? They couldn't understand it. They weren't mature enough to get what you did for them. They were so mad. They didn't see why. They were broken. They were crazy. How could you do this to me? Don't you love me? Let me eat the sandy candy. And you say no, because you love them. What's the, greater, what's the greater distance? The adult to the toddler or God to you? You think you can see everything he sees? Do you think he can really explain it all to you? in a way that you'll understand. Pray with thanksgiving and you take the bucket off and you can see the darkness of the small in the light of the great, the God who is your peace. See, Paul knows anxiety and thanksgiving don't coexist well. They don't don't fit in the same room, in the same breath. Anxiety believes that I'm in control and it's all up to me. That's why I'm so worried, because I don't think I can do this. And anxiety is nearly practically atheist. Where's the good God who's working all things for your good in anxiety? He's gone. You can't find him. The bucket is on. Do you remember Romans 8.28? We all know it, and none of us believe it. I mean, I believe it, but I don't believe it, believe it. Look at Romans 8.28. And we know don't we? That for those who love God, church, tell me, all things work together for good. And all means good experiences God has checked with you and you have pre-approved. No, it doesn't. In the Greek here, all means all. He's going to work it for good. How? I'm not sure. You see here that anxiety is less about what you know and, and more about who you know. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to have wise rule over your life even when you don't get all the details? Do you trust him? That's where peace is found. That's where peace is found. Pray with thanksgiving. You know, in anxiety, I feel like I'm in control and by myself, I have to do it myself. Thanksgiving, I realize he's in control. He's working for good. He's here. I can see again. The bucket is off. But it's hard work. You're going to have to pray. And even when you can't see anything to be thankful for, look at the end of verse 5. Look at the end of verse 5. What's it say? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Scholars aren't sure if that means he's coming back soon or if he's with you right now. Um, And many say, and I think this is the way I'd lean, it means all of it right now. He's coming back for you soon and he's with you right now. Don't we have text for both of those? He's with you and he's coming back soon. He's at hand. He's near. He's around the corner. If you're quiet, if you pray with thanksgiving, you'll hear his breath. He's with you. He is with you. So when you don't have anything on your Thanksgiving list other than this, the Lord is at hand. Christian, is that good enough? It's good enough. It's good enough. So again, what's the principle? Find your ultimate peace in the God of peace through Jesus Christ, who is your peace. And then see the darkness of the small in the light of the great. That God is your peace. And apply that in here. Take the bucket off. Practices foster peace in your community. Pray with thanksgiving. Here's the last one. Meditate on and practice the beautiful. 
meditate on and practice the beautiful. Then you get this list, finally, brothers and sisters, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. I want you to land on the command. What are you supposed to do with those ideas? Did you see it? Think about these things. Think. And really, the, the word think here has in it the idea of meditate, stir on, suck on it, ponder it, dwell on it. I think anxiety is all about meditation. I don't mean like an Eastern view of meditation where your brain is empty. I mean meditation where you're pondering the same idea over and over and over again. Come on, when you're, anx when you're anxious, what's on your mind always? That thing. I've done it. I'm not even home when I'm home. I'm not even talking to people when I'm talking to people because I'm eating dinner at home, but what really is on my mind is my anxiety. Do you know that feeling? It's horrid, isn't it? It's horrid. It's terrible. And guess what I'm doing? I'm meditating. I'm thinking about it again and again and again. And I'm not even meditating on things that actually have happened. I'm thinking of theoretical horrible things that might happen. You know, if you had a journal of your anxieties, I bet maybe 30% of them actually happened. Have you noticed that? You're, you're, you're dreading this thing. How many times did you get there and go, oh, wasn't, wasn't what I dreamed it to be? Or I'll have these imaginary debates in the shower. Boy, I'm really sharing the soul here now. <laughs> and it's terrible. And these people are bringing up these horrid arguments. I'm having this spawn and this, ah! And then I get there to actually be with them, and oh, my goodness, it's like picking daisies in the field. I'm anxious, and I'm meditating on what could go wrong, and I'm turning it over. Did you know you can change what you meditate on? You don't have to meditate on that. You don't have to dwell on it like that. Look what you need to meditate on. I mean, I could unpack the list. True, it's a trustworthy character, honorable, worthy of respect, right, just and fair, clean, pure, it's clean, it's uh, sincere, it protects others, lovely, it's beautiful or winsome, commendable, it sounds, it makes truth sound beautiful, it shows it to be desirable, excellence, it's fundamentally great, worthy of praise, it just gives you joy. Scholars say these are things that would be valued in the pagan world as well. Anywhere and everywhere you can see the beauty of God according to his character and in his promises. And you can choose to meditate on these things. Tell me your anxiety wouldn't go down the more you meditated on what was beautiful. Of course it would. Even if it was just to the point that Lord, as I go into this hard situation, I know you're with me and you're working it for good. Didn't it just change the environment? You go in feeling, I'm alone. It's all gonna catch fire and burn. There's no hope for me versus the Lord is with me and he's working it. I don't know how, but he's here. He's with me. If you believe that, it just whoosh. Meditate on the beautiful. And then Paul says, put it into practice. Have you ever lost your peace because you knew you were being a hypocrite? Any Christian who knows they're practicing what Jesus has said, don't do that. There's not going to be a lot of peace there. It's like, your, it's like your shoulders dislocated. You look normal to everybody else, but you can't lift anything, and you're in pain. Don't just meditate on the beautiful. If there's a spot in your life where you're not living it out, Rely on God's peace, his power, his love, and grow in living it out. And you'll enjoy more peace. Meditate on and emulate the beautiful. So I want to ask you, let's do it in a row. Who do you need to foster peace with this Thanksgiving? Some of us getting together with family and friends is just all party, and it's going to be so fun. And others of us, we're quaking because we have to be with that person. How can you foster peace? I don't know, but are you willing? How can you help other people foster peace? How can you let your magnanimity, reasonableness, unselfishness be known to everyone? Because you have everything you need in Christ and you don't need to win then because you've already won. How can you do that? How, how, when are you gonna pray with thanksgiving? How are you gonna say, oh, that was a great idea. I heard Matt talk about it once. Or are you gonna get, 
Are you going to get with a notebook and a pencil and your Bible and pray over your anxieties with thanksgiving? Pray like that. How are you going to meditate on and emulate the beautiful? But most of all, friends, here's the things. Where are you going to find your ultimate peace? And who God is. And who, what Jesus has done for you. Put all your eggs in that basket. Believe you have peace with him. And everything is okay. He's working for your good. And then see the darkness of the small in the light of the great. Take the bucket off. And remember this great God who's at work in your life for your good. And if you don't, you don't believe that's true, look at the cross. Look at the cross. You have the moment that looked like utter chaos and loss, and it was for your salvation. Nobody understood how this could work. Nobody saw it. They all said, God, what are you doing? Here's the Messiah. And in that darkest moment, God was saving you. And it's proof of his love for you and his faithfulness to you. Have peace. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a good father and you want us to have peace. And we confess to you how hard it is for us to have peace. But we pray, Lord, that we would take the truth of your word and you would help us believe it and live it and put it into practice. Help us to see the truth of who you are and the peace we have in you through Christ and to have the arms of our hearts just grab that and hold it and help us to put that into play in our relationships, in our hearts, in our thought life, Lord, so that we can enjoy the peace that you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.